Now, uh, we're going to turn to God's word, and uh, before we do so, let me ask for God's blessing. Father, I ask that as we try to unpack some of Romans 5, that you would speak to us and enable us to be overwhelmed by the sense of knowing what you want to say to us about your righteousness and life. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know about you, but I actually find Romans quite a difficult book. Um, It it is an incredible book. It is a book, I think, if you had nothing else uh, in the Bible but the book of Romans, you would have everything in that that would help you understand what the Christian life is all about and uh, what the theology of the gospel is. But as I said, Paul's writing is often long and convoluted, and I hope that I can do a little bit of justice. We're continuing a series uh, on Romans, and last week Zach looked at the first 11 verses of Romans 5 and spoke of peace with God and hope for the future. So today we're thinking of the gift of God's righteousness. In fact, the header of the The passage that I read in my NIV says, death through Adam, life through Christ, which I think sums it up very well. Or let me put it this way, uh, hopefully on screen. Though we have death through Adam, the gift of God's righteousness is life through Christ. Let me repeat that. Though we have death through Adam, the gift of God's righteousness is life through Christ. Paul represents or presents Adam and Christ as two types or patterns of humanity who brought different results to our world. Through the sin of the one man, Adam, he said, came death that was both spiritual and physical. But through the death of the second Adam, Jesus Christ, came grace and life. And what Paul says here is of consequence, not just for Christians in Rome to whom he was writing uh, at the time of this letter, but it's, it's consequential for the whole of the human race. Because really what Paul says is that there are two epochs of humanity. There's the human race signified by Adam and those signified by Christ. Adam, if you like, represents humanity apart from Jesus. If you have your Bible open, uh, I'll not be reading the verses, but you look through the passage, you see the words that are connected with our first human ancestors, uh, and they're quite depressing. Uh, They're words like sin and death, verses 12 and 20, or trespass, verse 15, judgment and condemnation, verse 16, disobedience, verse 19. And then compare those negative consequences of what we call the fall with the positive things that come through Jesus Christ. And the words that Paul uses are things like grace, mentioned five times in verses 15, 17, 20, and 21. Justification, uh, verse 16. Life, verse 17. Obedience in verse 19. Though that's speaking of Christ's obedience under the law for us. Perhaps it would be helpful to show this in table form, and uh, we we can think of it this way. Through Adam, there's sin and death and trespass and judgment and condemnation and disobedience. That's a very hefty list, isn't it? Very depressing and negative list. But through Christ, look at the contrast. Grace multiplied. Grace mentioned five times. Life. Uh, And then not in the passage we read, but righteousness in Romans 3, 21, 22. I'll not be reading those verses. You may want to take them down and look at them later. Righteousness through Christ, Romans 3, 21, 22. Peace, Romans 5, verse 1. No condemnation, Romans 8, and verse 1. And obedience. So you can see the contrast between those tables. Uh, and, and everything negative because of the fall, and everything positive because of Jesus. 
Now here's the thing. Some people think we live in a dualistic universe where there's an opposite and equal tug between good and evil, two equal and opposing forces, God and Satan, if you like. But the Bible won't have any of that. The Bible has nothing to do with dualism. The second Adam is vastly superior to the first. God is infinitely superior to Satan. The second Adam's capacity to save is infinitely greater than the first Adam's capacity to destroy. And to try and understand all this, I want to concentrate on two traits, if you like, that come because of Adam and our first human ancestor's sin, and then two things that come to us from Jesus. And first of all, there's the reign of sin. Uh, I'm very privileged to live in Newcastle. Uh, With the beauty and majesty of the morns, the delights of Tullymore Forest Park, the teeming wildlife of Murloc, phenomenal beach at Torella, all within striking distance of our house. One morning we we walk down from uh, our home, it takes about 10 minutes into the town, we go through the park and we saw a kingfisher flying up the river Shimna uh, in and out of patches of dappled sunshine with its iridescent feathers shining as it came into the sun. Uh, It was just beautiful. And then we were just about to cross over the road and on this side of the bridge, a cormorant uh, flew up right beside us and landed on a bit of the island in the park and there were a couple of herons sitting on the island. We went over the road across the bridge to go to Maud's uh, and there was another cormorant on the other side swallowing a fish. Uh, and we have a table in Maud's. If you're ever in Newcastle in Maud's, uh, I don't have any uh, you know, uh, financial dealings with them. I'm not advertising them. But if you ever go to Maud's, don't sit at the table opposite the till. That's ours. Uh, and uh, because the table opposite the till, you see the river, the mountains, and the sea, and it's fantastic. It's beautiful. We live in a beautiful world. But we're also very aware that there's something fundamentally wrong with our world. We're aware of global warming and that the pressures on our world and the flooding that's happening in England and all kinds of things, the, the fires in Australia, the, the plague of locusts in East Africa at the moment is really amazing and, and frightening. There's, there's a, a world that we live in that we recognize that physically the universe, the cosmos is broken. And if the cosmos and the universe is broken, then we understand that human relationships are also broken and that things are not what they ought to be. And so, in a sense, we can see the reign of sin affects the whole world. In Romans 5 and 15, Paul says, the many died by the trespass of one man. And we may think that's unfair, but We'll come back to that in a moment. The many died through the trespass of one man. Writing in 1 Corinthians 15, 22, Paul simply says, in Adam, all die. Uh, this is the doctrine, if you like, of total depravity. I don't know if you've ever thought of that. It's one of the fundamental doctrines of the Reformation, the total depravity of humanity. And I used to worry about that and think, well, you know, I'm not totally depraved. I'm not out there, you know, killing people or or doing bad things and stealing from shops and whatever. Uh, So how can I be totally depraved? And so I I got a definition from Jim Packer many years ago that I think uh, really helps us understand what the reign of sin and total depravity means. And here it is. Jim Packer said, not that at every point man is as bad as he could be, but that at no point is he as good 
as he should be. Let, let me repeat that if I may. Not that at every point man is as bad as he could be, but that at no point is he as good as he should be. That's what it means to be totally depraved, that, that our, our, our lives without Christ are governed by sin. And without Christ, we have no way of solving that issue. When Albert Einstein published his theory of relativity, it was said there were only a dozen people in the world intelligent enough to understand its implications. Uh, and yet through one man and the formula E equals MC squared, an age was ushered in that eventually led to the generation of nuclear power, but also the atomic bomb in Hiroshima. Once discovered and once put into practice, there was no going back. And likewise with the internet, I think one of the most incredible discoveries of the 20th century. Uh, for all the implications of good and ill, the internet is with us, it's just here to stay, there's no going back on what it has brought, good or ill. Uh, and so we, we understand that through one person, many things can happen that are good or bad. And the reign of sin is in our world today. Secondly, the reign of death. These are very depressing things, aren't they? Sin and death. But we'll come to the good stuff in a, in a moment. Because of Adam's sin, we're all exposed to sin. But more than that, we are, because of the fall, exposed to death, both spiritual and physical. Look again at Romans 5 and verse 12, and we might read some of these verses more than once. Romans 5 and 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men, because all sinned. We, we may think it's unfair, but it's like the invention of the internet. Once invented, there's no going back. It's like Albert Einstein's formula once understood and the implications being worked through, there was no going back. The reign of sin and death has come. And when God spoke to Adam and Eve about the need for obedience in the garden or the paradise of Eden, he really made clear that if they disobeyed and ate forbidden fruit, the consequences would be death. The enemy, of course, said, did God say you'd really die? No, you won't really. But of course they did, not on the day of the fall physically, but spiritually, and thereafter physically, death entered into the world. I kind of think it's amazing that God created a world and God's plan was not that we would experience death. God's plan was not that we would experience spiritual dislocation from him, physical dislocation from him. Because when Adam and Eve sinned, or first human ancestors sinned, they began to recognize that they were sinners and they couldn't meet a holy God and they hid from him in the garden. And God comes looking for them and says, where are you? Why did you hide? They knew that something fundamentally had changed and they were spiritually dislocated and physically dislocated from God and death entered in. And so the reign of death came in. Look again at uh, verse 17. For by, if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, then the good news, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So let, let's move on to the good stuff. And thirdly, think of the reign of grace. At the same time, Einstein was putting together the theory of uh, relativity. A young Scott Alexander Fleming was growing up uh, carefree in the uh, lovely Ayrshire 
uh, county in Scotland. Later, of course, as a renowned microbiologist, his discovery of penicillin revolutionized the health of people all around the world. Uh, and uh, I don't know about you, I'm one of those funny people who's allergic to penicillin. Uh, but many thousands upon thousands of lives have been saved through the discovery of penicillin and many people's health has been improved as a result of it. It was all good. There were no negative consequences of what uh, Fleming did. Uh, and so we, we understand that uh, through Fleming, humanity was introduced to healing on a massive scale, but through Einstein's theory of relativity, the possibility of destruction was also brought into humanity. Now, there are many scientists and artists and politicians and businessmen and more who've had a significant influence upon our world, upon humanity. But I think no one has had a greater significance than Jesus Christ. Uh, and we understand that he is the one who can bring us grace and life. Look again, if you would, with me at Romans 5 and uh, 15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Sin and death have their consequences, and we see very clearly day to day in our TV screens and our newspapers and social media the results of the reign of sin and death in our world. So where do we see the grace of God and the favor of God towards the undeserving? Well, let me put it this way. For every failure we have to live up to God's standards, there is grace to forgive our sins. I'm distressed that sometimes pastorally I've met people who say, God could never forgive me. I'm distressed when people feel that they have done something or neglected to do something that's so awful that they think God could never forgive me. God could never really love me. I'm not worthy of his love. And absolutely not the case because the grace of God and the love of God and the life of God is there to restore us to right relationship with him through Jesus Christ. He comes to wipe the slate clean. Uh, and uh, we have that kind of picture in the Old Testament. People used to write on wax tablets uh, and, uh, and then they would just clear everything of the wax tablet and start all over again. And God says he will wipe away our sins so as if they never were there in the first place. He says he will take our sins and prophets like Jeremiah and others say that God will choose to remember our sins no more. And, and you know, God could put up on a screen on the wall everything that you and I have done wrong or thought wrong uh, or neglected to do the right that we know we should have done. He could put all up on the big screen and we'd be so embarrassed. But instead he says, I choose to remember your sin no more. That's grace. And uh, think of the crucifixion of Jesus. For every sin of yours and mine that nailed Jesus to the cross is the grace of the one who became obedient unto death for our sakes. The grace of the one who knew no sin being made sin for us. And when soldiers hammered in nails into the body of Jesus, sin was abounding. But when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing, grace was abounding. One of the thieves, probably a murderer who deserved to die, turned to Jesus in the last moments of life and heard the words of Jesus, today you'll be with me in paradise. That's grace. That's grace. 
The author of Romans, the Apostle Paul, was complicit in the martyrdom of Stephen and the persecution of Christians. He described himself once as the chief of sinners. I think if Paul thought himself to be the chief of sinners, what does that make me? But on the Damascus Road, he was blown away by the superabundance of God's grace. Look with me at his uh, testimony, if you like, in 1 Timothy 1. We'll read just a couple of verses of that, 13 uh, and 14. Uh, And this is what he says. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. What a testimony. The abundance of grace. I don't know about you, but maybe you think a bit like me that, that, you know, not been a bad person, done good things and, and, you know, never stolen from a shop or killed anybody, done anything bad like that. And maybe we get a wee bit angsty about those who make a deathbed conversion, the thief on the cross, the last minute Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. Forgive me if I've told you this story before, but I remember visiting a man who was dying from a terminal illness. And he was so anti-Christian. He, he really got very annoyed uh, and argumentative whenever we began to speak. And, and we agreed that I wouldn't read the Bible with him anymore. I wouldn't try to speak to him anymore. I'd just come and see how he is. Uh, and it was a very unusual situation for me that I felt God led me to, to saying that. It was just too big a thing for him to have the Bible read and to have a prayer in the home. So we just went and we talked about football and the weather and how he was and so forth. One night around about five or ten past midnight, I got a phone call from his wife. She said, he's asking for you. And I got out of bed and dressed and went over and I remember so distinctly going up to his room uh, and his bed was just to the left of the door and I went in and he reached out and he grabbed my hand and said, Lord Jesus, into your hands I commit my life. And I prayed with him, I read some scripture with him, stayed with him for maybe only 10 minutes or so and I drove home, which would have been a five minute drive. And as I got back into the house, the phone was ringing and his wife was on the phone. She said, he's gone. Uh, all his life he had not recognized God, not wanted to know about God, and right at the last minute, he gave his life to Jesus. And I buried him as a Christian man with the hope of the gospel and the hope of Christ. You see, God's grace is for the undeserving. God's grace is superabundant. It is more than enough for every situation that we face. And that is the reign of life and the reign of righteousness. For you see, the trouble is that you and I are completely unable to earn righteousness. We are unable to make ourselves right with God by anything we do or anything we have. And Jesus is the one who bridges the sinfulness of our lives with a holy God. And to receive this gift of righteousness is to be justified before Jesus Christ so that he looks upon you and I just as if we'd never sinned, just as if I'd never sinned. How amazing is that? And then there's this abundant provision of grace, God's abundant provision of grace. You know, it's not just about grace to forgive our sins, but it's about grace of access to our heavenly Father. In the Alpha Course, Nicky Gumbel tells the story of a soldier 
in the time of Abraham Lincoln uh, when he became president of the United States and he went uh, to the White House. And this soldier had a grievance and he felt that nobody was listening to him and he wanted to get to see the president and he went to the White House but he was barred from entry, had no appointment. The soldiers in the gates chased him away and he was standing out in the street uh, looking visibly upset and a wee boy came along and said, what's wrong? Uh, and the soldier said, I've got this problem, I've got this grievance and only the president of the United States can help me. And the wee boy said, don't worry, come with me. Uh, and he brought him round the back of the White House. Uh, and uh, he went up to a gate. And there were a couple of soldiers on duty. And the soldiers saluted the wee boy and opened the door for him to go through. And the soldier followed him behind. He didn't quite know what was happening. And every room he came to were the regards. People saluted this wee boy. And he walked into an office and the door opened. And there in the Oval Office, Abraham Lincoln was sitting at the desk. And the wee boy said, Dad... This man has got something you need to help him with. You see, direct access into the presence of God. That's what Jesus brings to us. Not just the superabundance of grace to forgive all our sins, but access to our Heavenly Father. That, that he is always ever only a, a prayer away. He's always with us. We have access through Jesus Christ to the very throne room of heaven. And that's the abundance of grace in God. Paul may well have been familiar. I don't know this for sure, but there's an ancient Christian text called the Didache. Uh, and it had a little phrase in it that I wondered did the Apostle Paul come across. Uh, it says this, there are two ways, one of life and one of death. And there is a great difference between the two. Saying there's a great difference between the two may be an understatement. But, you know, the Christian faith is very simply distilled down to those two things, the way of Adam or the way of Christ, the way of the first Adam, the way of the second Adam, the way of death, the way of life, the way of sin, the way of grace. Two alternative uh, realities in life. Uh, and either we submit to what we were born into, a fallenness of the world that we inhabit and a, a sinful life, or we submit our lives to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and receive his gift of grace and life, indeed everlasting life. Uh, and so let's just finish looking at Romans 5 and verse 21. Just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How might we get eternal life? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. How might we be, how might we be, how might we be saved? Sorry, Through faith in Jesus Christ. How might we reverse the fall and the effects of sin and death? Through faith in Jesus Christ. There's a whole load of sermons on how we do that, how we transform the world and society and reverse the effects of the fall because one day God is going to do that. And when he comes and Jesus returns, there will be a new world, a new heaven, a new earth and a new humanity that will not know sin or death or suffering or pain or sorrow or any of these things. The abundance of God's grace. Let's pray. Father,
help us to ask ourselves the question, are we with the first Adam or the second Adam? Are we living under the reign of sin and death with all the brokenness of our world and all the negativity that comes, not only from a broken cosmos, but a broken humanity? Or are we living in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our salvation, the one who promises to be with us through the whole of life that we might be transformed and be those who transform the world around us in the reign of grace and the reign of life. Help us to choose this day whom we will serve, the first Adam or the second Adam. And help us to be like Joshua of old and say, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.